I have a question. Are you mowing in the dark? Welcome back to the Mowing in the Dark podcast. I am your host, Aaron Sutter. Thank you for tuning in to another Faith Friday episode. Guys, I want to apologize right off the bat. I know I seem to apologize at the beginning of every episode because there's something to apologize for. I apologize to you guys that just show up for the lawn care content. I've just been slacking. No real reason. Just been not super focused on the podcast, but I always like to try and get these Faith Friday episodes out. And so, unfortunately, I just haven't gotten the lawn care content out or the snow removal content is is what it would be this time of year. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of a business update before we jump into the Faith Friday. So today I had to go out and at least check my zero tolerance site, uh, which is a doctor's office. And um, on Fridays, they don't see patients. They only have one person that comes in to the office on Friday. So she is the office person. She just said, just leave it. You know, we're only going to get an inch today. Just leave it. And uh, it should be fine. So what I'm actually going to do is go back after lunchtime Uh, because she only works half a day on Friday and I will probably clear the lot and clear the, the sidewalks and stuff and salt because I don't want that to freeze over the weekend and just be an ice skating rink come Monday. So I really want to take care of that lot and I need to take care of it, uh, per the contract, but she didn't really want me to do it this morning. So I didn't do it this morning. But I will be going back to do that this afternoon. And uh, we've had some snow events, uh, but nothing nothing major. Uh, I've had to salt a few times just that one parking lot. That's all I have that I need to salt. So it, it hasn't been a tough year by any means this year for snow. Uh, in fact, it, it's a little worrisome that I might have to credit some money back. Uh, And typically, I do have to do that anyway. So I did lower the amount of clearings that I was going to do this year, simply because of the weather patterns that we've been having. And uh, so that should help a little bit with not having to credit back as much money. But when I credit back money, usually I just put that to lawn care. And so I just don't get paid for like the first month or whatever of lawn care. And I know some of you are like, man, you should just keep the money. I get it. I get it. But if you want to run a reputable company and you don't want to lose customers all the time and have high turnover, you're going to have to do what's right and give that money back. And uh, that's just the way I feel about it. And some of you are going to say, well, that's why you have a contract so that you get to keep that money. Yeah, in the contract, it does say that I am able to keep that money. It does. There's language in there that is worded in such a way where I could keep that money and they would have no legal recourse. My thing is, why treat a customer badly? Why treat a customer badly over a couple hundred bucks? You're going to destroy your reputation. You're going to get a bad name for yourself because you're getting paid. 
you know, five, six, seven, a thousand dollars for the snow season, and you only cleared twice, and you're going to keep eight hundred dollars of their money for work that you didn't do, and so that's going to really tick off some customers. So, typically, I do credit back money, and that's just the way it is. My clients that I have are not wealthy, wealthy clients. They, some of them, do have some wealth. They still are concerned with their money, and they're not going to just allow you to keep the money that you didn't do work for. And I would feel bad and really wrong about keeping that money for work that I didn't do. So I will have to probably credit some money back for uh, lawn care clients in the spring. I'm okay with that. It happens a little bit every year. Uh, typically it's not that much money, but this year it could be a lot of money. It just depends on how our February goes. February is Michigan's snowiest month of the year. And so the reason it's the snowiest month, it's not the coldest month, but it's the snowiest because it's warming up and we get a lot more snow when it's in that 25 to 30 degree range rather than what we've been at, which is that one to two degree range, uh, we typically get a lot more snow when it's that 25 to 30 degree range. And so that's that's why February is so snowy, usually, in, in my opinion. I'm not a weather person, but in my opinion, that's that's when we get the most snow. So typically, we get the biggest storms in February. <clears throat> um, we were going to have uh, they were predicting, uh, what was it last week or the week before that we were going to get like 12 inches, 12 to 18 inches of snow. Well, that was reduced down to four inches. And so, uh, they just didn't, they couldn't predict the storm. It was kind of squirrely. And so I get it. It's not predicting the weather is not an exact, exact science. That's why they call it predicting the weather because they don't know exactly. And so, it is what it is with snow removal. You take the good with the bad. And this year has been kind of rough, uh, just not with the amount of clearings that we have. But you know what? I don't like doing snow removal. So if we don't have to clear snow, I am fine with that. I'd rather be on the podcast, you know, doing this type of thing or reading a book or something rather than being out and plowing snow. So that's just me. I, I just don't care to plow snow. Um, I just don't like it. I do it because we have that availability in Michigan and many other states down South do not have that capability, don't have that available to them as an income stream. So they get to work year round on lawn care stuff up here. We, if we want to make money in the winter, it's got to be through snow. So that's where I'm at right now with the business guys today. Let's jump into our Faith Friday episode. Today we are jumping into Acts chapter 4. If you new if you're new here, hi, my name's Aaron. I've been in the lawn care business for almost 10 years now. Uh, actually this year will be my 10th year. 2024 will be my 10th year in lawn care and I started part-time and quickly went full-time and over over the time, I just decided that I'd share my experiences on social media. So I have a YouTube channel called Lansing Lawn Service. 
I have this podcast called Mowing in the Dark, and I'm on Facebook and Instagram. You can find me there, but I just like to share my journey with you guys. And part of operating, in my opinion, part of operating a successful, healthy business is to incorporate faith into your life as a business owner, because your faith will dictate how you run your business. And so that's why I do these Faith Friday episodes. I do them so that you guys can get some some of the Bible into your life so that you can hear God's word, even if you're out working. And uh, it, it, I just enjoy it. I enjoy sharing God's word with people. So let me give my disclaimer that I am not a Bible scholar. I did not go to Bible school. I don't have any Bible training. I just love the Word of God, and I like sharing it with people. And so the way we do the Faith Friday episodes here, I do it different than our normal Bible study, you might say, is I take a whole chapter of the Bible. Uh, So today we're in Acts chapter 4. Last week we were in Acts chapter 3. If you want to go back and listen to all the Faith Friday episodes, they are marked in the podcast um, shows with Faith Friday at the front, and then it talks about what what we talked about that day. So this one is Acts chapter four. And the way we do this, I read the entire chapter and then we go back to the first verse and go verse by verse through it. And I try to break it down as much as I can. Uh, You know, I'm not the smartest person in the world. uh, So sometimes I have no idea what what to say about a particular verse. So I do use a commentary every now and again to help me understand and help you guys understand what what the scripture is talking about. So with that all being said, let's jump into today's Faith Friday with Acts chapter 4. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of the men grew to about five thousand. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Ananias, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is... The, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the, out, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished 
and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could not, I'm sorry, let me go back. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they, they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them, because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over forty years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought them the money for the, from the sales, and put it to the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And that ends Acts chapter 4. Now let's go back to verse 1, and we're going to go through this and break it down. And I'm going to give you a little backstory, because the beginning of chapter 4 kind of, uh, it starts off abruptly if you don't know the backstory. So the backstory is that Peter and John were going into the temple to worship 
as the new believers of the new church that had just started to form after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and ascension. Um, so they, they were going into the temple, and there was a crippled man there at the gate of the temple. And so Peter and John, uh, they didn't have any money to give this guy who was begging, but Peter says to him, silver or gold, I don't have, but what I do have, I give to you. And he reached out his hand and took the cripple's hand and said, rise, stand up. And this crippled man stood up and he was healed. And so this was the Sabbath. Well, I'm not sure it was a Sabbath, but he was, I guess it wasn't the Sabbath necessarily because people went to the temple all the time. Like they went to the temple daily. So it may not have been the Sabbath, but this guy was healed miraculously. And so the chief priests and the the guard, that's where we're at now, they arrest Peter and John and bring them before the Sanhedrin. So that's where we're at in chapter 4. So let's start at verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So Peter and John, after this healing, they started to preach and explain what had happened to this guy, how he was healed. All right, because Peter and John never claimed to heal this man. They always claimed that it was Jesus that healed this man. So the Sadducees, which is like the political arm of of the temple, shall we say, the, the religious leaders, and they're like the, the court, like they're, they're the, the, the judicial system, I guess you would say, of the temple. And so they arrest these guys and they bring them before the Sanhedrin. So that's verse one, verse two, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. Now these guys, these teachers, obviously the death of Jesus the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus have happened very recently. So these guys were already in their positions when Jesus was crucified. These guys obviously know about Jesus. They know that they had him put to death. Let's read verse two again. They were greatly disturbed. So these, the, the religious leaders were upset. They were pissed off. Because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. These guys did not want this taught. Because they were absolutely certain that Jesus was a false teacher. He was some just some rebel who was claiming to be God. And that's why they crucified him. Because they they said that he was blaspheming. They were not looking for a guy like Jesus to come along and die for people's sins. They were looking for a political leader to come. They were looking for someone political, not someone that was born in, in Bethlehem in a, in a cow stall. They weren't looking for that guy, someone that didn't have a huge house, a lot of money. They weren't looking for him. The Bible says Jesus was not something special to look at. He wasn't overly handsome. He was just, he was powerful by his demeanor. People were were attracted to him. Verse three, they seized Peter and John. And because it was evening, 
They put them in jail until the next day. So it was nighttime. So it wasn't the Sabbath. doesn't say it was a Sabbath, but it says it was nighttime. So they put them in jail until the morning. They wanted these guys to squirm a little bit as well. So they seized them. They arrest them and put them in jail. Verse 4. But, but many who heard the message believed, and the number of the men grew to about 5,000. So if we go back in Acts, we see... In, I believe it is Acts chapter 2, Peter addresses the crowd. He addresses a crowd after the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And he addresses a crowd. And so we're still, we're not in that era now, but we're not that particular day, but it's close by this day. And it says here that, what was it, 3, maybe it wasn't chapter 2, maybe it was chapter 3. Um, Peter speaks to a crowd of onlookers in chapter three. All right. And between chapter two and chapter three, um, it does say that 3000, about 3000 were added to their number that day. So now we're, we're on to another day. I don't know if it's the next day, the same day. We don't know what we do know. I guess it could be the same day. Um, I guess I'd never really connected those together, but it, it certainly could be the same day. One, no, I don't think it is because chapter three starts one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple. So it wasn't, it couldn't have been the same day because it would have probably said the same day. So one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple and they found this crippled man. Okay, so now they the number has increased after Peter and John spoke to the crowd after they after the healing of this crippled man, and now they've added another two thousand to that three thousand. All right, so because it says, uh, but many who heard the message believed, and the number of men. So not including, not including the women and children, just the men grew to about 5,000. So, and I think it's, it me, yeah, message believed and the number of men grew to about 5,000. So we're adding 2,000 to the 3,000 that were already, that were already saved. Okay. Verse five. Sorry about that, guys. I know that was me thinking out loud, but (laughs) I'm going, I might do that a little bit here. Uh, through the rest of this. So I hope you're not annoyed by that. Sometimes I have to think through things and, and cause I'm doing this live, like right here, right now. I don't like write notes. I'm literally looking at my Bible. I have a commentary open above me here, but I'm literally just reading the Bible and going through it and just seeing what I can pull out. So I apologize if I'm thinking as I'm reading here. Okay. Verse five. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Verse 6, Ananias, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. All right, so in the high priestly priesthood, usually it was all family. Uh, Usually there was the father, and then the sons would also become priests, and then their sons would become priests. And so that's what we're seeing here. That's what it's saying here, okay? Uh, verse 7. 
they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. Okay, remember I said that the Sanhedrin was kind of like the political arm or the court of, of the, the temple, shall we say, the temple leaders. And so that's what they're doing here. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. And here's the question. By what power or what name did you do this? How did you heal this guy? How, how, did, how did this guy get healed? And, and the cripple is with them. All right, verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, verse 9, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he has he was healed, then know this. All right, so now Peter is ticked off because they're accusing him. He's done good. He's done a good thing. By healing a cripple man, right? And the, these leaders are questioning, in what name did you do this? And now Peter is ticked off because P- Peter can be a hothead, all right? And he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think, I think the Holy Spirit, through Peter, with Peter's emotions, because I don't think Peter was emotionless here as he's speaking. I think he was like, I'm really mad that you guys are even questioning this. And now I'm going to bring it on. So here we go. So Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 9. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, verse 10, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. That was like a mic drop moment right there. Just like he just comes at them. He's all, Peter and John have already seen what they've done to the Savior. They killed Jesus. Because he claimed to be the Messiah, the, the, the one that God sent to, to rescue Israel. And Peter is calling these guys out after they killed Jesus. And he says, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So they would know exactly who he is talking about. Whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. This, that this man stands before you healed. Verse 11. He, meaning Jesus, is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Or in other translations, it says the cornerstone. The thing, the very thing that the building is built on. You crucified Jesus. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone or the cornerstone. Verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. This would have enraged these Sanhedrin guys, these Sadducees. 
because they just killed this guy. And Peter is saying, you guys just killed the savior that God sent to us. And you killed him just like you killed all the prophets that God sent back in the old Testament. You killed almost every single one of the prophets because you didn't like what they were saying. And you killed Jesus because you didn't like what he was saying either. Peter was definitely filled with the Holy Spirit to walk in there knowing that he could be sentenced to death for speaking this stuff. Verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The apostles all 12 of them, all 13 of them, all 13 apostles, because there was 13, maybe even 14, if you can include Paul, which you probably should include Paul. So there was 14 total. Um, Judas betrayed Jesus. He died. They replaced him. So that makes 13. And then Paul comes along a little later, not too far down in Acts. So there was really 14 apostles, but now there's 13 again. All right. <laughs> so the number is right now is 12. When we add Paul, it's 13 that are living. Okay. I just wanted to make that clear. Uh, clear as mud, right? Okay. So <laughs> uh, let's read verse 13 again. I got off track. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So these guys were not educated. These were rejects. The 12 apostles were rejects. All right. Because in the Jewish culture, from the time you were little, like age 12, I think, or earlier, you were, if you were a smart, bright kid, you were sent to study under a priest under a rabbi. And if you couldn't hack it, you were sent away to do other things. All 12 of these guys couldn't hack it. They were fishermen. They were tent makers. They were, they were not the educated. And so these guys, when Jesus called them, they, they hadn't sat under the teaching of a rabbi. Sure, they went to the temple and got taught there, but they, these were not the learned people. And that's what the, the Sadducees see here. They're like, these guys are kind of dumb. Like, they, they aren't smart. But they're speaking with authority, and they sound kind of smart, right? Then they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled. Not necessarily not smart, but unschooled, ordinary men. These weren't religious leaders by any means. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Verse 14. But these men had, or I'm sorry, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. They actually, they saw the man who sat outside the temple gate for years. Because when they said that this guy was 40 years old, they'll say that here in a minute. 
that typically is going to suggest that this guy had been sitting at the temple gate for most of his life begging. They would have seen this guy day in and day out because this is the only way this guy could make money. And now after seeing him day in and day out, crippled, not being able to walk, now standing before them, healed. They can't deny it. They can't deny this evidence. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Verse 15, so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. So they had to have a little powwow, a little meeting without, without Peter, John, and the and the healed guy. Verse 16. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle. And we cannot deny it. These Sanhedrin guys. They're like. Man these Man. Whoa. I'm telling you what. These guys healed this guy. Now I don't know how it happened. But I see the guy. I've seen this guy sitting at the gate for a lot of years and he ain't never walked before and now he's walking and we can't deny it. And everybody in Jerusalem, because everybody had to go to the temple, they saw it too. These guys, these Sanhedrin guys, the Sadducees, they cannot deny this. And they're puzzled at what to do with these guys because if they punish them, the whole city is going to be up in arms because they're like, what are you doing? These guys just, they, they did a miracle. This guy is walking. How can you punish them for this? Verse 17, but to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. We got to tell these guys to shut up. They are hurting the temple. They're hurting the profits the temple is making. Now, I'm not talking about like profits in the Old Testament. I'm talking like money profits. They're hurting us and our reputation. They're hurting us because we're supposed to be the ones that everyone looks up to. We're supposed to be the smart guys. We're supposed to be the ones that are educated. We're schooled. We have the knowledge. These guys are unschooled. They're ordinary men. We are schooled and we are not ordinary men. We're like the top of the food chain. And these guys are eating our lunch. That's what they're saying. That's what they're saying. We got to shut these guys up. Verse 18. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So they're like, you guys have got to stop talking about this Jesus guy. You've got to stop it. And, and I'm thinking like, or what? <laughs> you know, or what? Because Peter and John now know, they now know, like, we've got these guys in a corner. We've got them backed in a corner. They can't kill us like they killed Jesus. Because we did a miracle at the temple gate. Everyone in Jerusalem knows about this. They've all seen it. They can't kill us or else they're going to have a riot on their hands. Verse 18 or verse 19. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves 
whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. It is always, always mandatory. I don't care who it is that, that's giving you the command to obey God first. Always. I don't care if it's your pastor. I don't care if it's the president of the United States. I don't care who it is. It is always your priority to obey what God says. Because we live in a kingdom. We are a part of a kingdom that is not of this world. Yes, we're in this world, but we're not of this kingdom. This is what um, my church, um, the, the denomination that I'm a part of, would call two-kingdom theology. All right, And so I believe that I am way more a part of God's kingdom than the kingdom of this world or the United States. And so I believe that, yes, I can participate in things here on earth. I can put, participate in the political system here. If I want to, I can do those things. But ultimately, I am part of God's kingdom first. I am God's subject first. He is my king. Far above anyone on earth here. So I have to do what he says first. What he says is right. Verse 19 again. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God himself. Now, I added himself, but rather than God is what it says. Verse 20, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot help but talk about this. And that's the feeling that I got when I started these Faith Friday episodes, is that I could not help but talk about the things that God has been doing in my life. I could not help but talk about it. I remember, I'm going to tell you, tell you a story here just to add to this a little bit. So I was working at a Christian, in quotation marks, marks, a Christian bookstore. It was not family Christian stores, okay? So it wasn't a corporate deal. It was a family-owned business, all right? And so we had one summer, it was a hot, humid summer, and the, um, what do they call it? It was, uh, it was like a... It was like a damper or something did not close on our air conditioning unit. And so a bunch of moisture got into the store and moisture and books don't mix. And so a lot of the covers on these books had drooped. They had bent over from the moisture and humidity in the air. And so they, the owners of the store made a claim for insurance perfectly fine. I am, I am super okay with them making a claim on insurance for this damper not being closed. Absolutely. Then, no more than a week later, after they got that insurance claim, the issue happened again. And so, again, no problem at all having them do an insurance claim at all. This was a, a mistake. This was a, a thing that happened with the air conditioner that was out of the owner's control. 
I get that. The insurance company told the owners of this store, we cannot do another claim for this same exact thing because it is within your power to get it fixed. We are not going to pay out for another claim like this. So before we got the final total of for the claim of the damage to these books, the owners took books off the shelves that had not sold in many, 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 many months or years that they could not return to the, the manufacturer. And they started folding or curling the covers of these books. In other words, this is called insurance fraud. And they asked me to do some of these cover curls. And I told them, I said, I can't, I cannot do that. My, I will not be a part of that. I am not going to help you in any way do this thing that you're doing because it's wrong. And they were not happy about it, but they also knew they couldn't fire me over it because they knew I'd just tell it like it was. Now, should I have walked out and quit that job? Possibly. I really needed that job to support my family. But I told them on no uncertain terms to their face, I said, what you're doing is wrong. I cannot be a part of that. And this was in the back storeroom, and I walked out back onto the sales floor and they didn't talk to me about it again, but they knew unequivocally where I stood on it. And I was worried. Like I I came home that night and I was like, well, I might get fired tomorrow because I stood up to them and told them, no, I'm not going to do this. Which really, I mean, if you think of it, that, that is insubordination, but it's insubordination to doing something illegal. And so they never brought it up again. But I'm just saying that story to to show you that Peter and John were in that same boat. These are the these are the guys with the authority. They they have the authority. And they're saying you guys cannot teach in the name of Jesus anymore. You cannot go around and talk about this guy anymore. And Peter and John told these guys to their face under the risk of death. They just saw their Lord, their rabbi, killed on a cross, beaten brutally. And they still stood up to these guys and said, no, we can't do that. On no uncertain terms are we going to stop preaching or teaching in the name of Jesus. And so I just told you that story to emphasize what Peter and John are going through here. Let's go to verse 21. After further threats, so they these guys still threaten them, more threats, more threats. What well, I doesn't say what they threatened, but it was a lot of threats, obviously. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. 
Verse 22, for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So that's what I was saying before. They, they couldn't punish these guys because everyone had saw this guy get healed and he's over 40 years old. Everyone in the city knows who this guy is. They've seen him at the temple gate day after day asking for money. And the Sadducees are like, we can't, we can't punish these guys right now. We're going to have to let them walk this time. Verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So Peter and John, they went back to like their group of people, the church. They went back to this new church that has been forming after the coming of the Holy Spirit. And they told them everything that happened. Everything. Verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer for God, prayer to God, because they all knew they could have been killed. They all knew they could have been killed for this, or they could have been put in jail and prison for this. And prison isn't prison in the Bible times is not like prison today. Prison in the Bible times was like, if somebody doesn't bring you food, you don't eat. That was prison. Like, if you didn't have somebody on the outside bringing you food, you don't eat. You starve to death. They literally lock you in foot foot stocks and hand stocks. You're locked in there, sitting in a hunched over position. And that's how you stay. Like, you're not moving out of that position. You sleep there. You go to the bathroom there prison was not like it is today in the United States. It was awful. It was hell on earth. And the, everyone here knows that that could have happened, but it didn't because the Holy Spirit spoke through Peter. Verse 25. Or I'm sorry, we're still in verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you have made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Sovereign Lord. Sovereign means that God is in control of everything. He is sovereign. He is in control of everything that goes on. And Peter said this earlier when he told the Sanhedrin that God used you guys to bring about his purpose. He used you, the religious leaders, to bring about his purpose. And now they're saying, Sovereign Lord, they say. They said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Verse 25, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. So they're going back to the Psalms where David spoke. And David says this, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And yet, what they're saying here, and yet, 
You used all that for your purpose. Verse 27, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate. So now they're talking about when Jesus was alive and they were getting ready to crucify him. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. Verse 28, they did what your power and will have decided beforehand should happen. So again, they're saying this is sovereign. This is, this is the will of God. This whole interaction was the will of the Lord for this to happen. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Before the foundations of the earth were formed, God decided this moment would happen. Do you hear that? And it's the same thing for your life. It's the same thing for your life. Before the foundations of the world were formed, God had decided the things that were going to happen in your life. That should bring us amazing comfort. Because God knows what you're going through right now. God knows the plans that he has for you. God knows. And it's for his glory. It may not feel good to you. What you're going through. Maybe you're going through cancer. Maybe you're going through like a bad relationship. God knows. God does everything for his glory, not for your glory and not even necessarily for your good. God does it for his glory to bring glory to himself, to draw others to him. Let's keep going. Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats, all the threats that the Sanhedrin made, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They're asking the Lord for strength. Give us strength, God, to stand in boldness anyway, even though they have threatened us. They've threatened our lives. They killed your servant, Jesus. Help us to be bold and speak to speak your word with great boldness. Verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Notice they didn't say perform miraculous, miraculous signs and wonders through us. No. They said, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. These guys knew where this healing came from. It didn't come from them. They have no power in and of themselves. It was through the holy servant, Jesus. So be wary of anyone anyone who says, I can heal you. Beware of anyone who says, what a miraculous thing that such and such person has done. That is not of God. 
Verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. The place was physically shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some of these people were already filled with the Holy Spirit. So there must have been people there that weren't. Because, I mean, how can you have more of the Holy Spirit when you're already filled, right? So you're already filled with the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit comes and fills everyone else. That's there too. And they went out and they spoke the word of God boldly. Does that mean that they didn't have fear that they would be arrested, that they would be killed? No. Boldness does not mean the absence of fear. Boldness means that you do things in spite of your fear. You step out boldly and you speak it anyway because it's the truth, because people need to hear it. And so some people, non-believers, often talk about, ah, Jesus isn't real. He, Jesus might have just been a good person or maybe a prophet, but he wasn't the savior of the world. And to that I say, how can you say that? When you have people who saw him get beaten. Have you seen the Passion of the Christ? That is probably the closest depiction we have ever seen to actually what Jesus went through. And it was probably worse it was probably worse than what that movie depicted. Uh, I read a description once of a doctor's assessment of what being whipped with a cat of nine tails would have looked like. And he said, in this description, he said, being whipped with a cat of nine tails would have left strips of skin hanging off of your back. Your flesh would have been ripped. Veins would have been ripped open. This, just the beating alone with the cat of nine tails was so gruesome that it made the, the hanging on the cross look tame. This was a beating that would leave most people dead. Just the blood loss alone would have killed most people. So this was the crucifixion. Whatever you think the crucifixion was, it was way more brutal. Like crucifixion, along with the beating, was the absolute worst way to die absolutely the worst way to die. And these people, Peter and John, and the rest of these people, they would have seen, many of them would have seen the crucifixion. Can you imagine the amount of boldness it would take to step out in that day, literally weeks after Jesus had been brutally crucified 
to step out and boldly preach in Jesus' name. Can you imagine the balls it would take to do that? And I'm, I'm sorry for being crass, but that is, they had some big cojones. I'll just put it at that. I mean, can you even imagine? These guys were risking the same death that Jesus had by going out and preaching in his name. And yet we, us, here in America, we're scared to go talk to somebody on the street or share share Jesus with a friend over coffee. We're scared to do that. How shameful that is. Just a complete shame. That we get so fearful of what someone might think. Our lives aren't in danger in this country. Our lives aren't in danger for sharing the word of God. Our lives aren't, we're not going to get killed for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in this country. And yet we are probably some of the most fearful people on the planet to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these guys, with the absolute threat of death, are going out and preaching boldly. Look at the church in China. You guys, did you know the Bible is outlawed in China? It is a federal offense to be caught with any portion of scripture in China. Did you know that? There are people in China, pastors in China, being jailed, beaten, and killed because they have a Bible. And you know what? The church in China is growing by leaps and bounds. People are meeting in secret. They are meeting in private places to have church. And they are risking death to do so. And the church in China is exploding. Contrast that with the church in America. The church in America is dying. We are in the gasping mode of death in America. And we are so fearful of preaching the truth that we can't can't say anything, you know, marriage is between a man and a woman. We can't say that from the pulpit. We'll, you know, we'll lose people. We'll lose, we can't say that. We can't say that. So, so we're going to soften it. We're going to soften it. We can't, we can't tell people that they're sinners, but we can tell them that they need grace. Well, how, why do they need grace if they're not a sinner? Why? We're so stinking scared of offending people because we have it so amazingly easy here. We're so afraid to offend someone 
that we won't even share the gospel. And these guys, they are under threat of the worst kind of death you could ever imagine. And they are going out and sharing the word of God boldly in public. We won't even bring it up over a cup of coffee. That is so stinking shameful. All right, I'm going to get off my soapbox. <laughs> All right, let's keep going here. We got a few more verses. Verse 32, and this, this is starting to really, we're starting to see the church shape up even more here, okay? So verse 32, all the believers were of one heart. Let me read that again. All the believers were one in heart and mind. They had, they had the same track. They were on the same track. No one claimed that, they, that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. This was what the, the, the early church was based around. Well, I mean, the early church was based around Jesus, but they shared their belongings. They shared what they had. Verse 33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and much grace was upon them all. Verse 34, there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought them, brought the money from the sales, verse 35, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. We don't do this today. I mean, some churches might do this. Very few do. What they do do is they sell, might sell a land, and they might give the money to the church because the church has a building project. The church is trying to add on to their already $2 million building. But there are still people coming to the church who have need. And those needs aren't being met. But, oh, we're building a $2 million church. Ooh, we're going to draw people in now, aren't we? People are going to come in and get saved. That's not what the church was meant to do. We were meant to go out and be bold and share the gospel. The church is a gathering of believers to come together and be edified so that we can go out during the week and share the gospel. The church was never meant, the church gathering was never meant to share the gospel. It was meant to build up the believers. Now, yes, we need to hear the gospel on a weekly basis. I believe that wholeheartedly. We need to hear the gospel on a weekly basis ourselves so that we have it fresh in our minds so that when we go out and talk to people, it's fresh on our minds and we can share the gospel with those people. But the church was never meant to be a witness to the world, people that were lost. The church gathering, it wasn't meant for that. It was meant for the building up of the believers so the believers could go out and share the gospel. And then once people are believers, then they can come into the church and they can be edified and built up and go out and share the gospel. The, the American church has this completely backwards. And it is frustrating as all get out. Because I see these mega churches 
where they no one shares the gospel with their friends. Nobody. They rely on the pastor to do it. And the pastor does a terrible job because he's afraid to point out sin because if he points out sin, there's money attached. And he can't get that offering money if he's degrading people because he's talking about their sin. And people get mad and then they leave because, hey, I'm a good person. I'm not going to give my money to this church because he told me I'm a sinner. Do you see? Do you see why the American church is so backwards? We have got it all wrong. The church is for the building up of believers. The church service is for the building up of believers so that the church the believers can go out and share the gospel. All right, let's keep going. I got on another soapbox. I'm getting back down. I'm getting my exercise today on these soapboxes. Verse 34, there were no needy persons among them for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, verse 35, and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. So this was not money to build a church building. This was money to be distributed to anyone that had need. Verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, verse 37, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So this is just one instance at the end of Acts chapter 4 here where somebody sold a field and he brought the money to the apostles. And in next week in chapter 5, we're going to see the ramifications of holding back from God what you have said you are going to give. And that's a big deal. So we're gonna, next week we're going to learn about Ananias and Sapphira. And it's a puzzling story that we're going to go into and we're going to talk about it. All right. But that right there ends the Acts chapter four. I thank you so much for listening. This was a lot longer than I thought it was going to go. Somehow the Holy Spirit laid it upon my heart to talk about the things that I talked about. And I, all praise goes to him because that's not where I was going to take this today. So Thank you guys for listening. I hope this hit home with you. I hope that you become bold for Jesus Christ, that you share Jesus Christ with your friends, even under the threat of death. That, that's my prayer. That's my prayer for myself, because I'm, I'm not just speaking to you guys. I feel this in my guts, like I'm speaking to myself. Because I'm disappointed in myself. I could do way, way better with sharing the gospel with people that I know. And I think we all could. And I think if we transitioned from a, a seeker-sensitive church to a, a, a model where the church is for building up, and then the Christians go out, the church people go out and share the gospel, I think we would see an explosion of revival in this country. 
I really do. I think we would see true transformation and revival in this country. But right now, we're seeing a lot of emotionalism. We're seeing a ton of emotionalism because of the way we do church today. People are running off their emotions. They're not running off of facts, off of who Jesus is. They're running off of a feeling. And when that feeling fades, they walk away. Change happens at an understanding level, not an emotional level. The emotions may come later, but salvation comes through understanding. Understanding the Word of God, understanding the Gospel. That's where salvation comes from. And it comes through understanding, comes through the Holy Spirit. And I don't think people, unsaved people that are coming to church are truly being saved at a very large rate. Billy Graham once said he would be shocked if more than 10% of the people that came forward at his crusades actually got saved. He would be, he said he would be elated if more than 10% of the people that came forward at his crusades actually got saved. That's astonishing because thousands of people would run forward to, to pray the prayer at his crusades. And he said he would be elated if just 10% truly got saved. That's an astonishing statement. And I think on one-to-one basis, we can do way better with sharing the gospel. So go out this week, share the gospel. All right. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I hope you got something out of this. I hope this impacted you. I hope it got you thinking. I hope it gave you a desire to get in the word of God. Prove me wrong on something I said today. Get in the Bible, research it. Prove me wrong. If I said something that you don't agree with, prove me wrong. Message me on Facebook. Send me an email. Do whatever you got to do. Contact stuff is in the description below. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. And I will see you in the next Faith Friday episode.